Grace and peace to you all, and welcome to the Calvary Road with Pastor Sam Allen. And Jesus chose the most unlikely people, not just to follow him, but to make it his little team, his A-team, his disciples, his apostles. But Jesus, that's how all things work together for good. He takes what we were and what we did, and he says, I can transform the man, I can transform the woman, I can transform the boy, I can transform the girl, and I can use them. Pastor Sam completes his message, Fishers of Men, we begin in the book of Matthew, chapter 4, starting in verse 18. Now we see the men whom Jesus called to follow him, and we get some insight into the how and why of Jesus' decision to choose them. Let's listen in. We don't really bring anyone to the Lord. We give invitations, we give opportunities, but God is the one doing business with the hearts and souls of men and women and boys and girls. And so in any case, he calls these two and immediately at this point, they left their nets and followed him. Now I like it. They were fishermen. He said, I'll make you fishers of men. And that's what he does. He takes what we know in the natural and he says, I'm going to do something wonderful with that. When he calls, and we'll come back to some other points, but note in this next little section, verses 21 and 2, going from there, he saw two other brothers, James the son of Zebedee, John his brother, in the boat with Zebedee their father, mending their nets, and he called them. And immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. I, I saw something, and well, I, it's marked in my Bible, but I don't know that it ever hit me the way it did this time until this time. He finds the first two casting a net. He says, I'll make you fishers of men. He finds these two mending their net. And, and the word literally just means preparing it, getting it ready. Whatever needed to happen to it to get ready for the next, next fishing expedition, the next opportunity to get out and work. They were busy doing that. And, and he says, he doesn't really say, I'll make you fishers of men. It just says, follow me. I like this because... These guys, if you're not familiar with them, James and John, sons of Zebedee were told here. Elsewhere, they're called sons of thunder. Makes me think mom must have been thunder. But um, they were an intense couple guys. They were not exactly the kind of people, if you were putting a team together, and I don't care what you were wanting to represent or accomplish, they're probably not going to be guys you would employ. Why? Because the very people Jesus was trying to reach, one of those people groups, just south of where he was based, the Samaritans, they refused him the rite of passage at one time. And these two come and say, hey, just give us the word. We'd be happy to call fire out of heaven and destroy them all for you. Man, they've, they've dissed you, Lord. Let's, let's destroy them. And Jesus says, you're not getting it, are you? He goes, you don't know, you don't know what manner of spirit you're of. The Son of Man didn't come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. And so he chooses these two. And, and here's where I'm going with this. And it, this is why it blows me away. It said they were mending their nets and God was going to use these two as unlikely of candidates as they seemed to mend brokenhearted people, to, to restore people, to put people right with God and one another. You see, John, this John, would later be called the Apostle of Love. 
I wouldn't be three and a half years later. I'd be 30 years later. But, but this guy who was deadly and dangerous and just out of it. No, Jesus says, no, I'm going to use you too. I'm going to transform you too. And you need to know that God worked on these guys and Jesus discipled them personally. And they, they needed a lot of work. They, they were no, no better than us. Maybe no worse than us, but just as needy as we are. So John, and if you read 1 John, and I highly recommend it, read through 1 John, underline or circle or highlight everywhere where he mentions the word, word love, it'll blow your mind. Look at what he has to say about the love of God and the love that we're to show one another, and, and it will just completely blow your mind. Why? Because Jesus so radically transforms these men that you wouldn't even recognize him as being the guys he first chose. He gets a guy named Levi. And I would think, not only Simon the Zealot, but Peter and, and, and Andrew and James and John, that all of them would have looked at Jesus and said, you're kidding, right? Levi? He's a tax collector. He's a traitor. He's no patriot. He's no follower. He's working with the enemy. And Jesus chose the most unlikely people, not just to follow him, but to make it his little team, his A-team, his disciples, his apostles. And here's the thing. Why a guy named Levi? Well, Jesus knew that tax collectors, and this is true today, they are very meticulous at keeping records and details, so much so that now that they have computers, man, they're comparing every single thing that you say and that your your boss says, and, and, and he thinks, I can use that. Maybe you're unaware. Levi is Matthew. He wrote the gospel we're studying. You see, that gift of being meticulous, of taking accurate records, of making sure that, that everything adds up perfectly. Oh, Jesus said, I could use that. I'll train this guy. I'll make him one of mine. I'll use him wonderfully. And that's what was going on with them, and that's what's going on with us. You know, when the 60s, late 60s, early 70s, and even into the 80s, when those just hundreds of thousands of hippies were getting saved down in the Southern California region. And I know some of it crept up into Northern Cal, but man, it was just insane and wonderful down there. I should say sane and wonderful. It was just amazing what was taking place. I got saved at sort of the tail end of that whole Jesus movement. And I was one of those hippie idiots. I mean, hair down to here, you know. Hey, man, what's up? You know, staying up all night, talking about nonsense. Just a real idiot. And, and it's like, that's why when I got saved and I began to say, Hey, man, Jesus can change your life. They're like, well, we'll see if he changes yours first. <laughs> but here's the deal. All these hippies get saved. They don't have a whole lot of skills. They've got some background, though, that's unique to them. And I'm sure you're aware of the fact that, that there were some things going on that no one should be proud of or happy about, certainly wouldn't boast in. Lots of drugs, lots of smuggling. You know, Jesus says, I can use that. Not the drugs, but the smuggling thing. Oh, yeah. Do you know that early on in that hippie movement and for about 20-year period that Calvary Chapel pastors and many from their congregations smuggled Bibles into China at a time where you, you could get a Bible in China, but you had to register with the government to get it. And people were paranoid because their fathers and grandfathers had been in prison. Many of the pastors had been murdered. 
And so they, Jesus looks, and, and these guys are like, well, I don't really know how to do much. And, and he's like, you can smuggle. You know, I can use that. You know how to do something, and I can take that. And, and my point is this. Romans 8.28 says, all things work together for good. Now, no one's saying that drugs are good or smuggling's good. No, those are bad. But Jesus, that's how all things work together for good. He takes what we were and what we did, and he says, I can transform the man, I can transform the woman, I can transform the boy, I can transform the girl, and I can use them. It's the raw material he's interested in. Someone has said it, it's not our abilities, it's our availability, because it's his work in us and through us. Now the command, and you need to see, it is a command. It wasn't an option, it was an imperative. He says, follow me. He's not saying, hey, if you don't have something better or if you'd like to. No, he is commanding them at this point to follow him. That's why immediately they responded. They left their nets. They left their, their fortune. They left their livelihood. They left their family. They left all to follow him. And whenever he calls us to something, there's always a cost to us. That's why he says, count the cost. Do you know? Remember when Jesus says, and for some of you, it won't be remembering, it'll be the first time, but, but for many of us, it's remembering. He says at one point, deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. Do you remember him saying that? That deny yourself, take up your cross, that's the cost to follow him. And though he doesn't say it here, we see it here. They had to deny themselves. Even as Abraham was told to get out from this land, leave your father, leave your family, go to a place I'll show you. And then God says, and I will, and I will, and I will, and I will. He tells these guys, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. But they had to deny themselves first. They had to take up their cross and follow him. Now, here's the, the real amazing thing if you think it through. Whenever we read, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow him, we read that as if they understood the cross. Because we're looking back at the cross, we know what the cross is about. Jesus hung on that cross, if you don't know, not for him. His cross was all about others. He had no sins, tempted in all ways, as we saw in our last study, yet without sin. So Jesus went to the cross for you. He went to the cross for me, for us. He died for our sins. He shed his blood for the remission of our sins. And so the cross is always about others. It's not, oh, my cross, the bear. It's always about others. But at the time when he spoke this, he'd not yet gone to the cross. And again, that passage that the preaching of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to those of us who are being saved, it's the power of God to salvation. Now, here's the deal. Why was it foolishness? Because, and we've talked about this, it would be like today if Jesus were to die for our sins, it wouldn't be on a cross. That's not how people are put to death. That's not how criminals are put to death. No, it would be the gas chamber or the electric chair. And when it says the preaching of the cross was foolishness, it would be the same as if today we went around and said, hey, my best friend just died for your sins in the electric chair or in the gas chamber. People will look at you and think, what? Or if you said, if you want to follow Jesus, you need to deny yourself, take up your electric chair and follow him. 
We laugh because it sounds absurd. That's how it sounded to them. See, we got to know that or this whole thing really doesn't open up for us in the way God would have it. That's why the disciples, when he talked about the cross, they were like, yeah, he mentioned that before, but I really don't know what in the world. What, do you know what he's talking about? No, I don't know what he's talking about. He was talking about literally going to the cross, but they never really got that till they saw him nailed to a cross. And then all of a sudden, oh, I get it. Deny myself, take up my cross. I'm going to have to stop living for me and live for him. I'm going to have to stop living for me and live for others. I'm, I may need to not only die to myself, I may need to die for others. And that's what Jesus was calling them to do in order to be faithful in their generation, in order to be fruitful and effective in their generation, they had to follow him. And in order to follow him, they needed to deny themselves, take up their crosses and follow him. And the same is true today. We mentioned in the temptation of Jesus that Satan was really saying, hey, I can give you this whole thing and you won't have to go to the cross in that third temptation. And he says to us, you don't need to die to self. You don't need to be a fanatic. And Jesus is saying, no, there's no other way to follow me. See, there's always an opportunity to repent. If you realize that you're a believer in him, but you're not really denying yourself, well, you're really not able to follow him then. And these guys believed in him before he called them to follow and maybe you've believed on him and today he's calling you to follow, to deny yourself, to take up your cross, to take the message to those around, to start at home if you haven't already and then to go to work and then to go to school and go to the club and go wherever you go and wherever you, you intermingle and mix, man, to take the message. So, so we see the mission field, we see the message, we see the ministers, you know, in Acts chapter for when some of these disciples are later arrested, those who arrest them for preaching the gospel, which means they were doing a pretty good job, they, they said, looking at them, observing that they were untaught and unlearned, they realized they had been with Jesus. How I love that. Untaught and unlearned. What they mean is that they hadn't these disciples been to the, the, the schools that they approved. They hadn't spent the time in the synagogues that, that they were participating in. And they realized, oh yeah, they must have been with Jesus. That's what happens when you go out and share the Lord. They know you don't have any kind of degree. You haven't been to seminary. They call those cemeteries, by the way, and, and for good reason. It's not that they're all bad, but a lot of people go in trying to get an education and they come out having been robbed of their faith. It can be as devastating and as bad as four years at Chico State. But, but um, and, and I'm grateful to be in a college community because I see it as a mission field. But I know, I know that there are a lot of people over there trying to just tear, take the, the, rip the faith out of young people who aren't really solid in the word. They, they've been in church. They've grown up. They've always gone. And all of a sudden, they're challenged. And they're challenged by people with degrees and, and with respect. And they're like, well, I don't know. Maybe my parents are wrong. They weren't wrong. They were right. The word of God is true. Well, in any case, these ministers prepared by Jesus to represent Jesus, to go out and do the work. And, and then we find immediately, as he says, follow me, a command. 
He says, and I will. I love that. Follow me and I will. What's he making you into? I don't know, but I know he'll do it. And immediately they left the boat. Verse 22, their father and followed him. Now, Jesus went about all Galilee, verse 23, and we come to his ministry and we touch on it. We'll develop it in the next weeks and months together. We find these three things that Jesus was doing consistently in his ministry, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, healing all kinds of sicknesses and diseases among the people. His fame went out through Syria, brought to him. They brought all who were afflicted with various diseases and torments. The demon possessed epileptics, paralytics. He healed them and great multitudes followed him from Galilee, from Decapolis, from Jerusalem, Judea and beyond the Jordan. Jesus went out and he taught and he preached and he healed. That's what he was doing in these days where his ministry was personal and public. Now, now there's something not said here that needs to be said. These things Jesus began to do and teach, Luke will later tell us. Jesus never taught anyone to do anything or asked anyone to do anything that he hadn't modeled for them personally himself. It's so important. That's why Paul writes to young Timothy and he says, be an example to the believers in word and deed and faith and purity. And he goes on and he says, be an example. And then he says, hey, in, in the word, stay in it and share it. And But be an example. And we need to be doers of the word first and then teachers of the word secondly. Now, as far as sharing your testimony, that's just the wonderful things God has done for you. There's nothing that should hinder a believer from sharing with others that God has transformed my life, that God has transformed your lives. There's no studying necessary to be able to say, man, I was going the wrong way and God spoke to my heart and now I'm going the right way. That's easy and we should all be about that business. I believe wholeheartedly this call to be fishers of men applies to every single believer. Why? Every one of us has a sphere of influence unique to us. People around us that look at us and either respect us or don't. But either way, we can be a real witness for the Lord to them. Even those of you who've blown it in your witness to people, you can be a witness that God is merciful and he restores one who's blown it and fallen. There's always opportunity to be what God has called us to be. So he came doing and teaching. He came preaching the gospel of the kingdom. It's not a different gospel. It's the good news that the kingdom was in their midst and the kingdom would soon be in their hearts and then the king would eventually come and establish his kingdom on the earth. It was the good news that sinful man could be reconciled to a holy God by a substitutionary sacrifice for God so loved the world he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. The gospel, Christ died for our sins, was buried, rose again the third day and all of that according to the scriptures. He came teaching, he came preaching, he came healing but ultimately all of that would lead to the cross. 
the the reality of that the means whereby he would reconcile us would redeem us would restore us to fellowship with the father now i read in the beginning what the world would be if it were just a hundred people i want to conclude with this today it's called the parable of the fishless fisherman i didn't think i was going to be able to find it and the lord was so gracious it's like Six o'clock in the morning today, finally I found it. But, but listen, there was a group called the Fisherman's Fellowship. They were surrounded by streams and lakes full of hungry fish. They met regularly to discuss the call to fish, the abundance of fish, and the thrill of catching fish. They got excited about fishing. Someone suggested they needed a philosophy of fishing. So they carefully defined and redefined fishing and the purpose of fishing. They developed fishing strategies and tactics. Then they realized they'd been going at it backwards. They had approached fishing from the point of view of the fisherman, not from the point of view of the fish. How do fish view the world? How does the fisherman appear to the fish? What do fish eat and when? They're all good things to know. So they began to research studies and attended conferences on fishing. Some traveled to faraway places to study different kinds of fish with different habits. Some got PhDs in fishology. But no one had yet gone fishing. So a committee was formed to send out fishermen. As prospective fishing places outnumbered fishermen, the committee needed to determine priorities. A priority list of fishing places was posted on bulletin boards in all the fellowship halls. But still, no one was fishing. A survey was launched to find out why. Most did not answer the survey. But from those that did, it was discovered some felt called to study fish. A few to furnish fishing equipment. Several to go around encouraging the fishermen. What with meetings, conferences, and seminars, they just simply didn't have time to fish. Now, Jake was a newcomer to the Fisherman's Fellowship. After one stirring meeting of the fellowship, he went fishing and caught a large fish. At the next meeting, he told the story. He was honored for his catch. He was told he had a special gift of fishing. He was then scheduled to speak at all the fellowship chapters and tell how he did it. With all the speaking invitations and his election to the board of directors of the Fisherman Fellowship, Jake no longer had time to go fishing. But soon he began to feel restless and empty. He longed to feel the tug on the line once again. So he cut the speaking. He resigned from the board and said to a friend, let's go fishing. They did. Just the two of them. And they caught fish. The members of the fishermen's fellowship were many. The fish were plentiful. But the fishers were few. The questions for us today. Are you, am I, are we following Jesus? Have we heard the command, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow him? And if not, why not? What's hindering? What keeps us from obeying a clear command to follow him and to expect then that he will make us as he made them fishers of men? Listen, our generation is just as needy as theirs. The situation of lost sinners just as desperate as it was and, and as they were back then. And so if we're not, why not? 
Is there something we need to forsake, to just put behind us, to leave behind us? Hey, Abraham was called to leave it all behind. These guys, leave behind and follow me. Is there something hindering? Someone you need to forgive or maybe you need to ask forgiveness. And if in fact you've chosen to follow, not just to believe, then the question is, are you fishing? And if not, why not? Because he's called us to be fishers of men. When we look at the people, including ourselves, whom Jesus chooses to build his church with, we can be tempted to question his choice of building supplies. However, it is important that we are reminded that we were all created by and for him, each of us supplied with gifts that make us ideal for whatever Jesus wants to use us for. Join us next time as we continue on in the book of Matthew. The Calvary Road is a ministry of Calvary Chapel Chico, and you can visit our website, ccchico.com, or download the CC Chico app to contact us and listen to other studies from Pastor Sam. You can also listen to The Calvary Road as a daily podcast by visiting thecalvaryroad.com. We'd love to hear from you. And until next time, may you find grace and peace as your journey takes you down the Calvary Road. And your grace.